we, uh, we started this series with, uh, with a call or talking about the call. And it really is the call for um, every person that God wants to enter into a relationship with. And God wants to enter into the relationship with every person, right? Like, scripture tells us that God is not uh, slow, he is patient. And he's patient because he wants every person to come to faith, and repentance. Uh, and, and so he's, he's waiting and we go, why, why is God waiting? Why hadn't Jesus come back yet? Because he's waiting, because he's patient, because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to experience real life. And, and so um, this call that he has for all people that he seeks to enter into relationship with, it's a call of, of, of Noah, it was the call of Abraham, it was the call of Israel as an entire nation, it's the call of every follower of Jesus today. And, and the call we started out with in this series is, is this, don't be captured by the culture, instead, offer the culture a viable alternative or a viable contrast. And, and so we talked about what that, what that meant to contrast the culture, to offer the culture a way of life that may seem counterintuitive, but is somehow aligned, uh, but is, is how someone has aligned themselves with the kingdom of God should live. And, and the example of that obviously is, is Jesus. Jesus lived this countercultural life that offered the world a, a viable contrast to the way everybody else was, was living. And, and we read, we read the gospels, we read the story of Jesus' life, we find out this is why people were so, it didn't matter what side of the, uh, the, the line or the issue people were, they didn't understand, like what is he doing? They couldn't understand it. But when they began to follow him, they learned some really cool things about what God was doing. And so what Jesus was doing with the apostles is helping them learn that they could trust God. They could trust what God says. They could trust God when he said, this is the way you should interact with other people. This is the way you should do business. This is the way you should handle your finances. And so we need to learn to trust God. And so we said the goal for kingdom people was not to correct or condemn the culture, but to contrast the culture, to contrast the culture. And that all starts with a brand new heart. And so in this series, um, through the book of Ezekiel, we've been learning about how do we get this new heart? What Ezekiel will, will call uh, having God take our heart of stone and give to us a heart of, of flesh. And so we see this new heart process as, as kind of a journey. We all start, and Kevin mentioned it. By the way, Kevin, great communion talk this morning. Fits beautifully into the message. I'm sure you planned that. Uh, we didn't talk beforehand. just how God works through his spirit to connect things together. Um, we see this as, this as this journey. Nobody comes to Jesus. Nobody comes to faith, and immediately everything in their life is different. Like we're still gonna struggle with the same things. We're still gonna struggle with the same addictions. We're still gonna struggle with this stuff, but God is changing our hearts so we learn how to trust God and move away from those things in the world. And then we can begin to be kind of counter-cultural and, and offer the culture this, this contrast. And so if we're gonna contrast the culture, 
God has to first get our attention. Uh, and, and we talked about how he, he did that. Over and over in scripture, God calls a person, and then through that person, he calls a, a people. And again, we see that uh, over and over again in scripture. Noah, Abraham, Moses, the prophets, Jesus, and even the apostles. And guess what, even you and me. This is how God works. He calls a person, and then through that person, he calls a people. And, and maybe it's not hundreds of people, maybe it's not millions of people like he did through Moses. Maybe it's not thousands of people like probably it was through Ezekiel and Jeremiah and others. Maybe it's through 10 or 20 people. Maybe it's through one person. But God is always looking for a person through whom he can call people. And you and I fit that bill. When we come to faith, God is calling us into this relationship so that through us, he can call others into that same relationship. He is always directing people toward himself and he uses individuals, you and I, to illustrate what it looks like to follow King Jesus and then we can help and teach others to follow him as well. But we learned over this series that there's a danger here, because if God is gonna call a person and then through that person he's gonna call a people, he wants to make sure that that person and those people have hearts that are dedicated to him. Because if our heart isn't right, then we're not gonna trust him, we're not gonna follow him, and then it all falls apart. And so we learn this very valuable lesson from Ezekiel 8, that God always sees the things that we try to shroud, the things we try to hide from him. And, and what do we call the things we try to hide from God? We would refer to those as sin. <laughs> I want to hide the sin. I want to have this secret thing that God doesn't see and other people maybe don't see. And it's just me and it's private and it's personal and whatever. And, and yet God sees those things. God's aware of those things. And, and what really is sin? Uh, Jewish people had three different words for sin. When you read the word sin in the Bible, it's translated from one of three different words, sin or transgression or iniquity. And each of those is progressively worse. Sin just means that you messed up. You missed the, you missed the mark. That's the literal translation of that word. You missed the mark. You were trying to do this and instead you did that. And, and it was almost like an accident. You were trying for something better and you just didn't quite make it. A, a transgression is like um, a, a child who is trying to push the boundary with their parents. And, and, and so uh, they're supposed to be in at 11 and they come in at 11.15. It was like, it was willful rebellion, but it was really just, I'm just testing. I'm just seeing what I can get away with. It's just part of our nature to, to do that. And so the Jews would say that was transgression. I, I did it, I, I know I did it, I did it intentionally, um, but it wasn't malicious. I didn't really plan on it necessarily, it just happened because I'm just kind of testing the waters. And then the Jews would say there's this other thing called iniquity, and iniquity is, is sin that you, uh, that you committed with intention, um, with no desire to change, and, and you just simply said, I'm doing this, I'm going to do it, I'm gonna keep doing it, and I don't care what God says. And so this thing we call sin, this stuff in our lives that we try to shroud, I want us to kind of look at it a different way. When we think about sin, because that can be kind of this nebulous kind of thing, we don't really know what it is. 
let's think about sin in, in terms of, of this. Sin is when we stop trusting God. We either stop trusting the things that he says about how we should live, or we stop trusting the story that he's writing, the story that he's writing in our lives. And, and kind of the idea is that we would then say, well, God, I know better than you. Like, I, I, I know this is the story that you're writing for me. I don't like that story. I'm going to do this. And so sin is anytime we stop trusting what God says or we stop trusting God's story. And the, sto and, the, and the consequence of not trusting God, it's always been captivity. When we stop trusting what God says and we stop trusting the story that he's writing, the result has always been captivity, whether that's individuals or whether it's the entire nation of, of Israel. Um, have you ever had a boss that like asked you to do a job, but didn't tell you how to do it. He, he just said, I want, you to, I want you to accomplish this task. I want you to do this thing. And he gave you uh, no direction on how to accomplish that. And so you just like, you know, maybe you're a young person, you just jump in and you're gonna accomplish it. I'm gonna do this thing because it's this assignment that I've been given, I'm gonna accomplish it, I'm gonna do it. And the boss comes in on the backside, gave you nothing up front, but comes in at the end and, and says, you've done it completely wrong. Start over, do it again. <laughs> I, I've had to say before um, to bosses, like I'll do whatever you want me to do, but you need to tell, like if you want it done a specific way, you need to tell me ahead of time. Because you're just, you're wasting your time, you're wasting my time, like we're not, this is not going well. That's probably happened to most, like if you've had more than one job, you've probably experienced that in your, in your life, so a boss or maybe even a parent that says do this, no direction, and then comes in later and says, no, it's not, it's not right. That's not the way God has worked. God has been very specific about what it is that he wants. From the very beginning, really, like Adam and Eve, they're just created. They like, they pop up. He forms them out of the dust and here they are, Adam and Eve. And he's like, look, here's the deal. You can eat from any tree. You can enjoy relationship with me. Like this is this beautiful story that I'm writing for you. Just don't eat from that tree and everything's gonna be fine. They had one rule and he gave it to them right up front. He didn't wait until they ate from it and he said, oh, by the way, you can't, you can't do that. He said it right at the beginning. And, and then we go into it's the same kind of thing. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the entire nation of Israel. God said in one way or another to each of them, he said, trust me and I'll bless you. Trust me and I'll bless you. Trust the things I'm saying, trust the story that I'm writing for you, and I'm gonna bless you in, in incredible ways. In fact, God said, I'm gonna bless you so that every other nation in the world sees this relationship that you have with me and says, I, I want a part of that. I wanna be a part of that kingdom. I wanna be a part of whatever is going on there. It was this incredible thing, and it all started with this idea of just trust me and I'll, and I'll bless you. But then, but then he said, look, there, there's another thing. You could choose to ignore the story I'm writing for, for you. You could choose to ignore the things that I'm, I'm saying. You can pretend like you're smarter than I am, and I'll allow you to kind of fend for yourself. So you can either trust me or you can trust yourself 
But if you trust me, you're gonna get blessing. If you trust yourself, um, th this is not gonna end well for you. And even in the midst of, of that, even God knowing that, that we as, as humanity, as a people, as a nation of Israel, as individual followers of Jesus, he knows that there are gonna be times in our lives when we stop trusting what he says and we stop trusting his story. And even in the midst of that, he, he says, look, um, even though you ignore my rules and you think you can figure out life on your own, I am still gonna be with you. And at any point you call out to me, at any point there's repentance in, in your life, I'm, I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna rescue you and I'm gonna bring you out of that. But when you look throughout scripture and even in our own lives, when we ignore the rules of God, when we pretend like we can figure this thing out all on our own, the consequence of that rebellion is always captivity. Captivity is always the consequence when we reject God's ways and we try to go our own way. And so we'll say it this way today, mutiny is always the result of captivity. Uh, mutiny always results in captivity. When we mutiny against God, when we say, God, I, I know that you've told me how to do things. I know that you have this way for me to, to live, but I'm gonna go my own way. I'm gonna do my own thing. That's, that's what mutiny is. We're, we're turning our back on the leader and we're going our own way. When, I, when we do that, there's always captivity. So think about this. Um, Adam and Eve re rejected God's story, rejected what he said. And their captivity, they were captured by mortality. They, they, they were gonna live forever in this relationship with God. And yet because they chose their own way, because they did it their own way, they were captured by mortality. And God said, okay, um, humanity, uh, people are not gonna live forever. Israel was captured by the nations whose gods they began to worship instead of the one true God. This guy uh, who was one of the 12 disciples, Judas, he was captured by greed. Everything that we use to assert our independence from God, it ends up capturing us. Sex, drugs, power, money. The, the things that we use to assort, uh, assert our independence from God, eventually that becomes our captor. And it starts out with us trying to be free. <laughs> and we end up being a captive to that thing. This last week, uh, Andrea and I went down to Texas and we attended the graduation ceremony for my cousin's oldest son. And uh, we were sitting in the audience and we were listening to it, going through, and they were giving all the speeches, you know, the salutatory and the valedictorian. And, and every year, every graduation you go to, somebody gets up and, and makes this statement about how, like, okay, graduates, we're finally free. We get to make our own decisions and we get to plot our own course and nobody's gonna tell us what to do. And so I took the opportunity at, at lunch that day at the graduation party to, to go into my uh, nephew. I don't know what he is. What is it, your cousin's kid? Thank you. I never know. What I, that's why I have a wife. She always knows. I never know. Uh, so I, I, go into, I go into cash and I said, hey, I, I'm, you know, we're getting ready to leave. And I want to tell you something really quickly. Um, you know the speech? Uh, earlier today where they were talking about freedom and you get to make decisions and go your own way. I said, that is a lie. 
You, you, from now on, you are not more free, you are less free. Your college professors are gonna require more of you than your high school teachers ever did. And you're gonna date somebody and she is gonna require more of you. She is gonna be in charge of the things that, that you do. And one day you're gonna have kids and you're gonna have a job and your boss is gonna demand your time. Like you, this, the graduating from high school is not freedom. It's not free. It sounds good. And, and there are some perks, right, to, to growing old. You can, get to, you can spend your money on, if you do it wisely anyway, you can spend your money on the things you want to spend your money on. But this idea of freedom, it's just, it's not real. It's, it's fake. And, and we know that because we have tried to gain our freedom from God. We've tried to do our own thing. We've rejected his story. We've rejected what he says. And we've ended up captive to the things that we tried to prove our independence and our freedom with. And so it doesn't matter if God is dealing with a nation or if he's dealing with an individual, mutiny always leads to captivity. Or, or we could say it like Paul did in Romans chapter six. He says, you are slaves to the one you obey. Either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. You're going to be a slave to one thing or the other you get to pick. But when you mutiny against God, when you try to do things your own way, the result will be captivity, enslavement to the things that promised freedom. Porn, drugs, that unhealthy relationship. And so today, we're going to take a peek at Ezekiel chapter 33. And instead of uh, what we've been looking at in the past several weeks, these visions that Ezekiel is having, he's had these grand visions of, of God. And last week we talked about is he's taken back to Jerusalem and he saw these visions of what was going on. Today, we're going to look at some things that were actually happening IRL with the people. And, and you know that I'm here to keep you up with today's lingo and slang. So if you know, do you know what IRL is? Raise your hand if you know what IRL is. Okay, 10 of you. All right, good, good job. Uh, IRL means in real life. So if you see that somewhere, IRL in, in real life, you're welcome. It'll be the only thing you'll probably remember from the day. Uh, that's all right. When you're scrolling social media, you see that, you'll go, oh, I, know, I never knew what that meant before. Okay. Uh, so, um, so we're going to see what was going on in real life, like real time among the people of Israel who were left in Jerusalem and the people of Israel who'd been exiled into Babylon. And we'll see that in both of those places, the people were doing different things, but they had the same result. And it's because they were doing what, what Kevin talked about. They were, they were thinking about the coming of, of God, the kingdom come, your will be done. But it was always about everybody else, not about themselves. It wasn't, they missed the in my heart part. They missed that change of heart that needed to, to take place. So they thought that they could do life their way, but it wasn't working out. And so Ezekiel got the word that Jerusalem had been overtaken and it had been destroyed. So uh, Babylon actually come in and just like raised the city. It, 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 was, it was kind of gone. And so we read this uh, right after he gets that news in Ezekiel 33, beginning in verse 24. Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel, they keep saying, so the people left in Jerusalem, Abraham was only one man, and yet he got possession of the land, but we are many. 
The land is surely given us to possess. Therefore say to them, this is God telling Ezekiel to make this statement, thus says the Lord God, you eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to your idols and you shed blood. You, shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword, you commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Now, most of those are pretty um, obvious. We can look at them, except this shed blood one. The concept here, when you look at the Hebrew words, the concept is you shed innocent blood. That, that's what that's what he's saying. Everything else kind of um, makes sense there. So the people of Jerusalem, the people that were left in, in Israel, they had convinced themselves that they deserved to have the land of Israel, the land that God had driven out, the Amorites and the Moabites and the Perizzites and all the other ites. He'd driven them out and he'd given the land of, of Israel. And if you remember back in the story, why did God drive those people out of the land? It's not that like, People who aren't church people, they get this idea that God's just this mean God and he drove those people off the land. No, he drove them out because of the wickedness and the sin that was there. They were killing their own children to appease these made up false gods so that they might be able to live a little better day to day. Like it was terrible, awful stuff. And so God, this is discipline that's happening and he brings Israel into the place and now they're doing the exact same things that the people who were there before them were doing. And so they had this idea um, and it's repeated over and over in, in scripture. In fact, Jesus talks about it um, with the religious leaders towards the end of his life. There's this idea that Jewish people were saying, Abraham is our father, God gave Abraham this promise. And so we deserve the land because we are of the lineage of Abraham. It's kind of like saying, um, look, my mom went to church or my grandpa went to church or whatever, and so I'm good because they did the right thing. Like somehow that transfers down the generation uh, to others. They were basically walking around saying, I deserve this. We deserve this land because Abraham is our father. And if you've been coming to church here for a while, you know how I feel about this idea of us deserving things. Like it started out with just commercials um, years ago where they, they would say, you deserve this. Whatever it was they were selling, it, it didn't matter. Uh, makeup uh, or Calgon. You, they even have that anymore. Uh, you take a bath in that stuff. Oh, take me away. And they're like, you deserve this. You deserve a break today. You work so hard. You deserve a break. I, I hate that. I hate it. You and I don't deserve all those things. We don't. We convince ourselves that we do. And then what do we do? We walk around like, hey, I deserve, like you owe me because I deserve it. I deserve your respect. No, you don't deserve respect. You earn respect. That's how that, that works. And so this mentality has been changed by the culture to thinking that we all deserve these great things and these wonderful things. And let me just tell you, uh, we don't. Okay, moving on. The people of Israel thought they should be blessed by God because of their ancient ancestor, Abraham. It wasn't because of, of what they were doing or what they had done. They didn't care about that at all. It wasn't a heart issue. It was just, look, we're, we're blood descendants of Abraham, so we deserve all this stuff. And what they were doing was the exact opposite of what God had said 
they should do. If you go back to Exodus and Leviticus and you read what God said, people of Israel, if you do this and this and this, if you listen to what I say, if you trust the story, then these are the things that you're going to get from me. But if you don't, if you go your own way and you do your own thing, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. And so the people were doing all the exact opposite of the things that God had told them to do. And so what we find is the people in Jerusalem, they were acting evil. They were acting out evil. That list of things in that passage, they were doing all these things that God said, look, don't do these things because I drove the nation out before you that was doing these things. And so don't follow him. They were acting evil. They were breaking every rule that God had given them that would result in their blessing. They were doing the exact opposite. And so they had completely rejected what God had said and they'd rejected the story that God was writing. And so they weren't giving the culture an alternative way to live. They weren't contrasting the culture at all. Instead, they had wholesale joined the culture. That's what we saw last week in the study. And it was no better for the people in Babylon. Um, look at this, what he says here. Uh, verse 30, Ezekiel 33. As for you, son of man, your people, so he's talking about the, the people in exile in, in Babylon, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, they say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Like they're excited, come listen to Ezekiel, come hear what he has to say. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain, their own gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And so on the other side of the ancient world, the exiled Israelites thought they were doing much better because they were listening to Ezekiel and they were talking about it like, hey, come to church with me. This is basically what they're saying. Come to church with me. I got this great pastor and he, and he talks really good and we like the things that he's saying. It makes us feel good. And so you should come and, and listen. They were like showing up to sermons. They were sitting at the fore. They were listening to everything that he said. They would applaud when he got done talking. They were there. They were in, engaged. They would invite their friends to come. And so Ezekiel has become this popular voice among the people. It was like the church to go through, go to, and they were showing up in droves to listen. But God says, look, they're coming and they're listening to you, Ezekiel, but they're listening to you like they were going to a concert and they were listening to somebody playing on an instrument. And, and, the, and the melodies, the melodies were just, they were haunting. It was, it was beautiful. And the harmonies were just, were just beautiful. And it's wonderful. It's like, it's moving, right? You go to a concert sometimes, you almost have this like spiritual experience. Like, man, this is incredible. I love this. And then the concert is over and, and you get up and you go home. There's no change. It's really great while you're there. And then you leave and, and it's over. Nothing changes in your life. And it was a pleasurable moment that nobody carries with them for more than a day or two. It doesn't transform anybody's life. It sounds good, 
But come Monday, everybody goes back to doing what they were doing their own way the day before. And for this exiled group in, um, in Babylon, their righteousness was an act. And so the people in Jerusalem, they were, they were acting evil. And, and the, the people in, in Babylon, they, they, they were kind of pretending to be righteous, but it was just an act. Well, they weren't doing anything. It wasn't changing their heart. It had nothing to do with it. They showed up, they shared in this experience, but then they shut their heart. And Ezekiel's words fell on deaf ears. We could say it this way. What Ezekiel saying, was saying was entertaining, but it wasn't transforming. And so one group, their actions were flat out evil. For the other group, their righteousness was an act. One group was acting out evil. One group was pretending to be good. And, and, and God, like to Ezekiel, he's like, look, neither one of these gets it done for you. I, I'm not going to put up with either one of these. It's all pretend. If there's no repentance, if there's no reconciliation, then nothing changes. Neither one gets you a new heart. In fact, both of those options, they simply highlight that we need a new heart. And, and the reality is we all know we need a new heart, right? There are times in my life where I go, man, God, you, like, you got to do something because I just seem to be kind of going off the rails today or this week or, or whatever. I, I need you to bring me back. I need you to get me focused again. We all know that a new heart is desperately needed because we act out evil sometimes. And there are other times we just pretend to be good. We need a new heart. But I want to take a moment and look at God's heart in, in all of this. Um, throughout the Old Testament, God has one goal, that humanity, his pinnacle creation, would recognize him as the one true God and that they would choose God's way over their way, right? They would choose to trust what God said and they choose to trust his story. And so we look at the first few words of verse 29, we hear this desperation in God's voice. This is what he says. He says, then they will know that I am the Lord. So he's, ta he's talking about kind of this discipline and he's like, look, they, they didn't listen to me when I was blessing them like crazy abundantly. Maybe they'll listen to me in the middle of this, this discipline, but the result is I want them to know that I am the Lord. Now here's something I found that's really cool. In the book of Ezekiel, 31 times you read that phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord. It's like God is just like, he's desperate. He's like, okay, this didn't work and this didn't work and this didn't work, but maybe if I try this, maybe then they will know that I am the Lord. Like the exile and devastation of Israel, it wasn't really about discipline. It was really about the direction of the people. What direction were they going? Were they following God or were they gonna follow their own hearts and do their own Thing. God had tried to secure the hearts of the people through his blessing, and they rejected it to go their own way. And so the consequence of their mutiny was captivity, like literal captivity. They were carried off into exile into Babylon. But the goal from God was always that they would recognize who God was and that they would once again walk in his ways and experience this authentic relationship 
with him. And we know this is true because of what we read in chapter 33, verse 11. Listen to this. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Go to this verse. When, whenever anybody talks about God's just a mean God, just read the stories in the Old Testament. He's driving people out. He's killing people off. God's like, look, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their way and, and would live. They trust what I have to say. They trust the story that I was writing and they'd live. And so he says, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why would you die? Why? God's just going, look, you don't have to end up like this. You don't have to be stuck in this life. You don't have to be captive to these things. You can experience freedom if you would trust what I say and you would trust the story that I'm writing. There's no need for you to die. It's so easy. Just walk in my ways and talk with me. Just have a relationship built on love. And so God goes on to tell Ezekiel, that the righteous person who turns from their righteousness and does evil, evil will be disciplined. And the evil person who turns from their evil and does righteousness will find forgiveness and life. Each person will be judged based on what they do, not their ancestry, not what, they, what they're thinking about, not their, not their intention, but will, will be judged by what they actually do. Le mutiny leads to captivity, but anyone who is captive can find freedom when they call out to God. So you can't trust your righteousness to save you and your evil past won't hinder a blessed future. But each and every one of us, when we walk in the ways of God, will experience the presence of God working and active in our lives. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us in spite of us. God, we know that we need a, a new heart. We know that we need to change because for some of us, we're acting evil. We're, we're doing the things we know you have said not to do. And, and for some of us, we're pretending to be good. We're showing up and we're bringing other people, but, but we need a heart change just like everybody else. And so God, help us to recognize this. Help us to see that it's not about our good deeds. It's not about our ancestry. It's not about these other things. It really is about our heart and where our allegiance lies. Are we trusting you or are we trusting ourselves? Are we trusting you or are we trusting the culture? Do we, do we look at ourselves the way you see it or the way the world sees it. And I think all of this could be summed up in this one word, humble. Humble, when we recognize who we are and then see how much you love us. The beginning of the change that needs to take place in our hearts. And so would you bring us to that point, God? Then would you change our heart? Would you give us this heart of flesh that Ezekiel talks about? We look forward to that, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name.